Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts 2, verses 37 through 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. You may be seated and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Ben. I have an update on June Dyer. Um, She is at Grady, room 317. And um, she did break her hip. And it's a bad break, and the and the bad news is is that her heart may not be strong enough for surgery. The doctors are evaluating that now. And uh, for those of you that have been around the medical profession for a while, that's that's not encouraging news. But um, but June Dyer is a, a quite a remarkable woman, and uh, her trust is in the Lord. I'm sure. I don't know that you can visit her right now, but. Um, uh, I'm going to go to Grady at some point, create a diversion, and sneak in. And uh, if anybody wants to help with the diversionary tactics, uh, I'm not going to break any laws, okay, folks? I, I say that, and then I realize that somebody might, oh, no, our pastor is a delinquent. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, uh, I don't know what lifts your spirits. I don't know what gets you going, but it's sure good to see Dave. And Janet Sunderman here this morning. Good morning. I was over there and Janet made I was over there visiting a while back and Janet made a a comment in passing uh, that she uh, drizzles uh, olive oil on her popcorn. Is that, was that you? I'm hooked. I'm completely hooked on that now. Thank you so much. What a wonderful, no, it's just so good to see you guys back. Uh, we're going to study today in God's Word, and um, you know, last week we studied uh, Peter's sermon, you know, the first church sermon, you know, post day of, well, on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit had come. Uh, we recognize the day of Pentecost as the day that the church was initiated on the earth, and so I made the observation that that's probably the first church sermon, if you give me a little latitude there. Um, and uh, today we're going to see Uh, something that is absolutely core and fundamental to the Christian faith. We're going to see how the people responded 
to the preaching of God's Word. Now, if you remember the main points of Peter's sermon, uh, he went into the Old Testament, he pulled out three passages, one from the book of Joel and two from the Psalms, and he made the argument, he made a logical case that this Jesus, whom they had crucified, was indeed the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's their Lord, and they crucified him. He stood there on the earth with his two feet on the ground, Peter did, and said, this is the Jesus that you crucified. How would the people respond? Uh, well, we're going to see that today. Well, actually, we've already read it. We're going to study how the people responded today, and it provides, I think, something for us to think about in terms of how we respond to the teaching of God's Word. It's absolutely critical to our lives as Christians that we understand this teaching this morning because there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, or just lazy thinking going on in the church today. And I think that there, there are a percentage, hopefully not here at Delaware Bible Church, but are, there are a percentage of folks who would consider themselves born-again Christians who at one time in their lives made a decision, is what they would say. They would, they, they, maybe they walked an aisle, they prayed a prayer, they proceeded to get dunked in a tank of water, and, and, on, that, and on that basis, believed themselves to be saved. And with, with nothing other than that, really, to show for it. And I want to contrast that way of thinking with what we're going to see in this text this morning. You know, when I was a kid, uh, when I say kid, 15, 16 years old, my, my dad very generously bought me my first vehicle. It was a um, uh, 1973, I think I broke the, there it is. It was a 1973 Chevy pickup, you know, what we refer to now as a square body. And um, it didn't look anything like this. It was a rust bucket. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was three-month-old diaper brown. Um, <laughs> it really was. Uh, and um, I remember very vividly when my dad bought it, uh, I, I, we went to retrieve it and got it home. And on the way home, I realized I can see the road from where I'm sitting. Uh, on both sides of the hump, you know, in the middle, you can see the road. And so we had to patch that up and everything. And um, uh, now, listen, I'm about to say some things and I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm waxing nostalgic about this truck, but I don't want one. I don't want one. <laughs> I have very good memories of the truck, but uh, it had a two-barrel carburetor that was very temperamental, was not fuel-injected, and so uh, I had to put a manual choke in it, and it was almost impossible to start uh, on a cold day like today, and uh, it took a long time to warm up. And um, it, it had a three-speed shifter column on the column, three-speed shifter on the column, uh, which you re don't rarely ever see anymore, kids. Uh, but um, that thing, the linkages in that thing would get all gummed up, and lo and behold, I'd be stuck somewhere in second gear. And in typical Scott T.D. fashion, would then slide myself under the truck, find the transmission, and dirty my hands, popping it out a second so that I could go home at faster than, you know, 20 miles an hour. So I, I don't want another one of these trucks, Okay. But if I were to want another one of these trucks, especially in Ohio, I'd have to go find something like this. Uh, this is more likely what I'm going to find. Now, down south, I might find something like the first picture, but, but here, 
with, with salt and snow and, and all the things that make Ohio, Ohio, um, this is probably what I'm going to go after. Now, question. If I go to the junkyard and I find this little gem and I load it up on a trailer and take it home and dump it in the front driveway, which would really make my wife happy, by the way. If I, actually, I think I'd be kicked out of Wesleyan Woods for code violation or something. I don't know. But if I dump, dump that thing on the front driveway in my house, is it, a, is it done? Is it restored? No. That's step one in the process. Step one in the process is, is pulling that thing out of the junkyard and bringing it home. What follows is literally months, if not years, of cutting out rusty metal and replacing it with welding in um, um, uh, metal that's uh, not rusty, it, uh, mechanical issues, uh, engine parts, pistons, piston rings, camshafts, uh, temperamental carburetors, uh, interior work, cushions on the seat, the fabric on the seat, the carpet, um, the, the, the instrument panel. And I can guarantee you, if you find this little gem, half of the instrument panel doesn't work because they didn't work when they were, you know, close to new. Um, but, uh, you know, probably the speedometer cable snapped. And so uh, not to mention endless amounts of, of primer and painting and uh, polishing to get it to look anything that even would remotely resemble that. Okay. It's step one in the process. There's going, to be, uh, there's going to have to be consistent work over years to get that thing restored. And so, and so using that analogy, I just want to say that, that the first step in the process of becoming a Christian, I think we're going to see that in the text today, but we're also going to see some things that, that help us to understand that once we begin the journey of walking with Jesus, that it's a, it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with today is this. What are the core things one needs to know and do? Know and do. Understand and do in order to gain entrance and grow to maturity within the fellowship of believers. And I think we're going to see some very interesting things in this text today that's going to help us to understand this in a more deep way. The first thing that we see in the text is found in the first verse, 37. It's asked the question. Peter had just given this sermon. He had, he had very eloquently laid out the case for the, the reality that Jesus was the Christ and he is their Lord. He's their master. Uh, he's the only one that could save them from their sins. And so they heard this and they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, well, in the whole Bible, the heart, when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the thing that pumps blood, and we're not talking about the thing that is where we have emotion. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, I get it. There's hearts, there's, there's some of them you open up, there's chocolate inside there. Uh, but the heart, as it concerns, uh, our understanding of God's word, the heart to these speakers would have been the center of their thinking, their will, and their emotion. How they think, how they make decisions, and how they feel about life is what they refer to in their heart. It's kind of their whole self. And so they, when they heard this teaching of Peter, they were cut to the quick, cut to down to their selves, right? And then they asked the question, 
what must I do? And again, it wasn't just a, Peter, we get it. Thank you for sharing this good information with us. Now we understand. Nice sermon, Peter. Have a nice day. We'll see you. It wasn't that at all. It was, they're going to respond. What must we do? They're asking the question. Now, I just want to pause here uh, because, you know, we're going we're gonna to find, you're going to find, that as we study in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is just going to come up. The, the third person of the Trinity is going to come up over and over again. And so I just want to say this uh, in passing. When we are in a situation where we're interacting with God's Word, whether that's in our own personal study at home, in a Bible study, or in church, oftentimes the Holy Spirit begins to stir inside of us and, and stir inside of us and help us to understand whatever it is that we're studying in God's Word, our lives do not align with that. Or perhaps we're, we're, the Holy Spirit is stirring in our lives and encouraging us because our lives are in line with that. But when, when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is saying to us, this is what God has said and you're not living this way, we need to be careful to, to be very careful not to throw cold water on that, which is, I think, something that we're very tempted to do. In other words, you're in your personal quiet time, you're at home, you're reading God's Word, and something pops out to you, God speaks to you and says, you know, through His Word, and He reminds you, your life is out of alignment in this area that you're just reading today. And, and oftentimes what we do is, well, it's time to go to work. Don't do it. The Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives, brothers and sisters, is one of the most phenomenal things that's ever happened to us. But we, we need to access that power by listening and responding when the Holy Spirit is uh, reminding us, is, is convicting us, is getting our attention. And I think that so often it happens that we, we listen to a good sermon or perhaps we, we sit through a good Bible study and we are convicted and then we simply move on with no heed to what was said or what we learn. So they asked the question and it was sincerely asked, what must we do? And then, oh, here's, sorry, First Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about, putting a bucket of cold water. What must we do? And Peter says this, Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were commanded to turn around. Stop doing life your way. Start doing God life God's way. That's what to repent means. Now, uh, full confession, uh, going to go back a little bit. I was born and uh, I was raised in a church called First, Baptist, uh, First, sorry, First Christian Church, Francisville, Indiana. Got good memories of that church. I'm not trying to trash that church at all. But 
the theology of that church is a bit different than our theology, and they're a little bit more on the Arminian side, meaning they believe that it is possible for one to lose their salvation. Consequently, a corollary to that theology is something called baptismal regeneration. They would hold a belief that a person must be baptized to be saved, or that baptism is intrinsically linked to salvation. Now, we don't believe that, but I've got some leftover I've got some leftover Arminian baggage in my theology that I'm trying to root out. You know what I'm saying? And, and so when you look at the verse 38, when you look at verse 38, it says, to, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a verse that they would point to and say, see, baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. Right there it says. And that's a good, it's, a, it's a, something to consider. But let me tell you, uh, as we look at the whole scope and span of God's Word, especially classic passages like the thief on the cross, one of the things that we, one of the conclusions that we reach is that salvation really is dependent on heart change. It's the repentance aspect of it that is critical. So why is Peter saying repent and be baptized? Well, here's my argument. My argument is, is that baptism is oftentimes the first tangible step that we make as believers to put on display that we truly have made that decision. We, we, in other words, we take a physical action of baptism to show that we've made the decision to follow Jesus. And so I don't think that this is saying that baptism is necessary for salvation, but that baptism is a, is a natural outflow of salvation. It's what, a, it's what a saved person does. They make the step to become, to, to get baptized. My experience is probably a lot, lot like yours. I, I was saved at the age of 17. I don't think I was baptized until that following summer at age 18. My wife was saved much younger than me, and we were baptized together um, at the same time, the same summer. And so we, we hold the view that, um, that repentance is what is necessary for salvation. Based on the thief on the cross and many other passages, repentance is the key thing. Now what else do we see? We see uh, the Holy Spirit acting in power here, right? The, they've heard the message and they've been told, they've asked the question, what must we do? And then they... they um, they are told they must turn around. They must change their lives. Go from doing life their way to doing life God's way. And what do they do? They do it. The Holy Spirit is active in their lives. They receive the word and are baptized. And again, this is just a reminder to each one of us that when the Holy Spirit is pricking your conscience, when the Holy Spirit is telling you what to do, we ought to listen and not to quench what he is trying to tell us. Uh, not so much here, probably because I'm older now, but when I was a younger man, a younger married man, and we would go places as a, as a family with little kids, um, my wife probably got sick of hearing the, the phrase, you know, I think I'm going to take a shortcut. Um, because uh, my wife has a little bit of car sickness, and shortcuts usually are bumpy and windy and... 
you know, not all that good for that. But more often than that, shortcuts, that when I say we're going to take a shortcut, that usually meant, A, it's going to take longer, and B, I'm going to get lost. So I don't do that anymore. Uh, we have a phrase that we use, take the highway and take the highway. And, uh, and so that's what I do now. But uh, I can remember uh, my, my stubborn self set, uh, heading down one of these shortcuts and my wife just gently, because she's like the most tender person, putting her hand on me and saying, why don't you turn around? <laughs> and no, I'm, no, I got this, honey, I got this. Why don't you turn around? Honey, we're, we're good. And pretty soon, when she says turn around, I'm just silent because I know I'm lost. I know I'm lost, but I'm not about to admit that I'm lost. <laughs> Let's not be like that, right? When the, when, you know, in this analogy, my wife is the Holy Spirit, right? But, but it, let's, when the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, this is sin. This is sin. It's in your life. Take it seriously. Don't brush it off. Don't move on to the next thing. Resolve. First of all, confess that it is sin. Agree with God. This is sin in my life. And what am I going to do about it? Let your actions declare your decision. That's what baptism is about. Letting your actions declare your decision. And again... Repentance is probably, again, I, I, I try hard not to caricature people and I try hard not to create a straw man here. But again, the Christian life is not just making a decision, praying a prayer, walking the aisle, and you're done. And then just move on with your life, do whatever you want. Because, you know, it's fire, fire insurance and when you die, you're going to be saved. That's not what this whole thing is about, right? Repentance is a gift. It's required and it's a gift. Meaning when Jesus was, you know, we've heard it from John the Baptist. We've heard it from Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Turn around. And where else have we hit, heard it? I just put, I, it's just kind of like my tongue-in-cheek joke, right? I put all the Old Testament prophets. What were they saying to Israel? Turn around. You know, you, you've, you've lost your way. You were supposed to worship God. You're, you're not worshiping false gods. Turn around. Repent. This is a key fundamental aspect of the Christian life. And it's, can I just say this? It's not a one-time occurrence. It's like the truck. First thing you have to do is you have to rescue it out of the junkyard, but you're not, it's not done yet. Then, you know, you have to cut out the metal and you have to fix the engine and you have to repaint. And, and, and so when we come to Christ, when we come to Christ, it's not like we come to Christ and all of our problems are fixed. Now we know how to use our tongue God's way. We know how to use our time God's way. We know how to be an encouragement to other people God's way. We don't know any of that stuff yet. And so we have to expose ourselves to God's Word, either in the sermon or personal study, Bible study. We have to expose ourselves to God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and show us where we're wrong, and we have to repent then too. It's a lifelong thing. We're sitting around, the, we had our elder retreat last yesterday, and we're sitting around the table, 
our elders, man, we have a good sense of humor. And I said to, I said to the elders, I said, Does anybody around, is anybody around this table sinless? And everybody said, no, none of us are. We all have sin in our lives. And uh, I said, uh, well, uh, a couple of you should have said so, because then I could have called the Holiness Church downtown, and, and uh, we could have sent you over there to be an elder, right? That's, that's my sense of humor. I'd... The Holiness Church, is, Holiness Church believes that people can reach full sanctification on the earth. We don't believe that. So we all have things that we need to repent of. And can, look, can I just say this? Repentance is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And here's some examples of it, right? Acts 5.31 says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give, to give as a gift, repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. If God is, is getting a hold of your life and he's letting you know that there's sin in your life, that is a gift. Accept it. Why? Because it's killing you. Sin is killing you. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your relationship with God. It's affecting your relationship with others. It's affecting your effectiveness at being uh, everything that you can be. It's affecting your, your, uh, it's affecting everything. It's a gift. 2 Timothy 2.25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Again, Jesus said, you know, you'll, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Our good God, our loving, gracious God knows that we are all in sin and knows what the truth is and has chosen to reveal the truth to us in this miraculous thing called the Bible, God's Word. He's given it to us in story form, narrative form. He's given it to us in poetry form. He's given it to us in wisdom form. And he's given it to us in uh, like a New Testament gospel form. I mean, he's given it to us in so many different forms, all bound together in this book. Why? Because the sin that's in our lives that separates us from him, the sin in our lives that that. Just as an example, you ever have you ever have, you ever try to be in a relationship with somebody who's just a habitual liar? Yeah, it's it's so hard. It, you just never know what the person if the person is talking to you, they're telling the truth, or they're just uttering nonsense in order to tell you what they think you want to hear to get them off your case or to, or to appease them or something. It's hard. Now, you ever been in a relationship with someone who you can bank? Not that everybody's always going to be accurate, but, but they're going to be very careful with their words. They're going to, and what they tell you 99 times out of 100 is, is true. It's accurate. It's the truth. And the, the joy and the sweetness of having that person called your friend. This God who is so loving and so gracious looked down upon us who were just racked with sin. It's affected our minds. It's affected everything. It separated us from Him. It, it, it's messed with our relationships with each other. It's taken a toll on our physical bodies and our minds, like I said, and our God chose to rescue 
at great cost, every single one of us, who would call upon His name. Every single one of us, He would draw to Himself. He has decided to rescue us. Why on earth would we want to continue to live in sin? Why would we not want to free ourselves from it? And be free. To love Him with everything that we've got. To love each other. To love our neighbor as ourselves. And to live a life of worship. You know, in, earlier in Acts 21, he quoted Joel. Acts 2.21, it says, uh, Joel says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you, when you read that, I don't know what comes to your mind. When, when I read that, what comes to my mind is this is the mistake that oftentimes people make is they read that word name, like all I have to say is say Jesus, 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 and I'm saved. You know, it's like a, a magic spell or something. But I want you to think about, because when I think about that, I think about, I think about when we talk about the God of the Bible and all that that name represents, all that he's revealed to us in his word, that's what we're calling upon, right? That's the one that we're calling upon. Why would we call upon his name? Why would we buy into to, to who he is and then ignore everything that he has said? Turn around and go God's way. And I put there, this is just my little friendly advice, we have to use it or lose it. Um, I think that we can all probably testify in this room that we've known people who at some point in their life came to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin. They started to live the Christian life and even manifested some of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then perhaps it started with, I'm not going to go to church. And it, and it morphed into, I'm going to start living my life my way again. And, and they've, they've worked themselves down a path where... Now, if you go to, go to them and you try to share with them the truth of God's Word, it's, it's next to impossible to get through because of all the lies they've chosen to believe. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What else do we see in the text? They learned the way of Jesus. Look at verses 42 and 43. And they, these are the people that got saved, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Look at the, I'm just, I'm just pointing out what the text is saying. What the text is saying is these folks did not walk an aisle and pray a prayer only. They followed it up with baptism, and then whatever's left of the rest of this passage, just, you know, because there's some people that pull these passages out of context and try to prove other things, but whatever goes on in the rest of this passage, just know this, their lives did not go back to normal. They, they started down a pathway that was completely different than the pathway they were on. They came to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost, a big Jewish celebration, they had an encounter with the living God and their lives changed. They devoted themselves to some things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so I, I just want to call to your attention Matthew 28, 19, and 20 because this is our mission as a church. 
God, uh, Jesus said this, this to the uh, apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they've started to do this now, right? They're proclaiming Jesus and they're baptizing people. Now they're in verse 20. It, it, what I just read, they're in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall in the first ever church study? Okay, guys, all you got, they got baptized. We're going to divide you up into smaller groups. And then we're going to, the apostles are going to start teaching you the way of Jesus Christ. Wow. And they, and they were devoted. They, they did it. And so I would ask you, are you devoted to the teachings of the Bible? Are you devoted to learning the way of Jesus? They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, meaning uh, that they, they got together and they talked about these things, right? They, they rubbed shoulders with each other. And I think in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, this, is my, this is, I think, the classic uh, uh, verse on, or a couple of verses on fellowship. And let us consider, let's think about how to stir one another up. Literally, the Greek word is provoke. Let us pro, let's figure out how to provoke one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. A couple of observations is, you know, uh, as I'm not saying that the COVID pandemic is over. I'm saying that the data is starting to show that the trends are starting to turn. Praise the Lord, right? The, 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 the caseloads in the hospitals are starting to come down. And the only reason I know this is because I'm married to a hospital worker. And so the, 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 the numbers at Ohio Health are starting to come down. And I think that these last two years of COVID-19 have sharpened my understanding of the value of fellowship. Amen? That, that just the absolute necessity it is for us to gather and to have fellowship with one another. But let me make a second observation, which is this. Just as critical as being near people is to being the type of person that will let others into your life. Because you, you can't... You can't let us, you can't say, let us consider how to stir one another up to provoke one another to love and good deeds. If when I come to you and I, and I just simply say what God has said in his word in fellowship, in love, trying to be as edifying as I can. And the response that I get is offense. And so we're living in a time where there's a lot of sensitivity, and I find that I've got to come to even believers, and I've got to come, and I've got to say, now listen, I see something going on in your life that's concerning to me, and I want to share it with you, and so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to edify you by speaking God's word into your life. Are you open to it? <laughs> because sometimes folks just are not. And even after they say, yeah, pastor, I'm open to it. Go ahead, shoot, what's, what, what's on your mind? And I tell them, the facial expression shows me that they're not open. And so when we devote ourselves to fellowship, we, we're making this deal with each other that we're going to provoke, we are going to provoke you. We're going to provoke one another to love and good deeds, but we're going to be open to being provoked to love and good deeds as well. And that's hard. 
They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And here, you know, because the text doesn't make it super, super um, clear, what I'm in my mind thinking of when I read this is they gathered together and they had meals together, but they probably also, because Jesus, this was what Jesus did, they probably were also sharing the Lord's table with one another. In other words, they were taking a period of time within the meal to pause and to take bread and to take juice, to take wine, and to remember the price that had to be paid for them to be saved. They devoted themselves... Oh, by the way, I just want to say this. I just want to say this. As an encouragement to you and an edification for this body, and I love, I love looking out and seeing like there's people in every row and it's, there's a good crowd here today despite the weather. But, but let me just say this. When we have the Lord's table together, if you're a member of this church, I want to encourage you, be there if you can at all. Like make it a priority that when we gather, that, that's a more intimate time. It's a more, it's, it's a more special time uh, to share what the Lord's been doing in your lives. And so I want to just exhort you, devote yourselves to the Lord's table in this church. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, to speaking to God. And again, I'm reading into that uh, individually and corporately. They were, devoted, they were devoting themselves to prayer. You know, you can tell a lot about a man or a woman by their prayer lives. And so this is something to think about this morning. Are you devoted to prayer, both individually and corporately? Now listen, in this church, there's all different kinds of ways you can pray with others. We've got prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We've got, another, we've got at least one other group that meets just for the purpose of prayer throughout the week. And then we've got life groups. We've got Bible studies where people spend some time in prayer, Sunday school classes. Devote yourself to prayer. 1 Timothy 2.1 says this, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Contrast, just in your mind for a moment, contrast the Old Testament God-fearing people who had to offer things to God through the priests. And Jesus hanging there on the cross, uttering the words, it is finished, and the, that, that curtain being torn in two. Folks, we've, we're living in a really good time. We have access to God directly, not through a priest, not through me, directly in prayer. Talk to him. Talk to him. And then finally, put what you learn into practice. That's what we see the fourth thing here, is we see the people putting what they've learned into practice. Verse 44 and following, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received the, their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved their heart change results resulted in life change now, some, will, some folks will read this passage and they'll, they'll rip it out of its context and they'll say that Christians ought to be practicing some sort of a socialistic thing, you know, socialism, whatever. And uh, I don't believe that. 
I think that what this text is telling us is that this was a group of people similar to what Jesus talked about in that parable where he said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went and dug in a field and found a treasure and putting the treasure back, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. These folks had just discovered salvation in Jesus Christ and they were all in. They were all in on this. And so, what used to concern them perhaps about their worldly possessions, you know, that that they were the owners of these things. They didn't care about that anymore. They sold all that they had and had it all in common and they gave to anyone who had a need. Uh, Perhaps they used to go throughout their days and they were just... um, you know, they would take their lunch and they would go, well, it's time to eat lunch. I need some sustenance. They would take lunch. Now they see things completely different and they're accepting, they're taking their food together with glad and generous hearts. They're, they're making it a priority to meet together and they're earning favor with all people. Take your Bibles, if you would, and just for a second with me, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I just want to bring this out. This is, uh, this is something that we need to understand from God's Word and I think is on display in this passage. James 1.22 and following says this, James 1.22, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For when he looks at himself and goes away, at once forgets what he was like. I don't know about you. I'm 48 years old. When I get up in the morning and I look myself in the mirror, it's pretty rough. Now, it's a blessing that I don't have to deal with hair anymore because that was pretty rough too. It was rougher. But, you know, I mean, you ever wake up and... I mean, this is gross, but you ever wake up and you got a little, like, snot running out of your nose all the side of your face? You know, just, you just look like a bag of onions when you wake up. And, you know, there might be some blemishes that need to be dealt with or whatever, but you go and you look at, you know, I, I don't go look at my face in the mirror and then go, well, and then just turn around and go. I deal with it, you know. You, the sink is right there. You wash your face. You, you do what you got to do to get looking presentable. And you go about your day. But, but James says that a man who is a hearer of the Word is like a guy who goes and looks at himself or a lady who goes and looks at herself in the mirror and everything's messed up. And then they turn around and it's like, forget what they look like. When we go to God in His Word and we read, when we read God's Word and and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us that our lives are not in alignment with God's Word, and then we do this, that's what we're like. It's foolish. It doesn't make any sense. What are we doing? But, verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
if you want a, a good exercise for the rest of your week, you can meditate on those three words in, in verse 25, the law, well, these three words, law of liberty. This book that God has given us, the Bible, his word, this book is not designed to hold us down, make our lives no fun, make everything rotten and take away all the joys of youth. And It's not that at all. It's quite the opposite. For if you will live your life according to this book, you will find freedom and rest for your soul. Because Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if you want uh, evidence of that, I'll treat you to coffee and we can talk about it. And I can give you example after example after example after example after example after example of someone who decided that to ignore what God has clearly taught in their word and now they are fast bound in the bonds of sin. It's not pretty. It breaks my heart. But the one who looks into the perfect law, you're reading the Bible, the law of liberty, and perseveres and does what it says, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. One last observation before we close. And that's the relationship that this passage has in the end here to culture. To culture. Verse 46, and back to Acts chapter 2. Verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking, the bre breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's, what I, here's what, the observation that I get. These people had been transformed. And they were in the process of being even further transformed. They're like the truck. It's it'd been dragged out of the junkyard and already God has put on it some new wheels, gets, gets the engine work, working just a little bit and, and you know, gets it so it's roadworthy. And people are seeing the people, the, as they go to the temple, as they go to the individual homes, as they're out in public, people are seeing it. Like non-believing people are seeing the transformation Here's my observation, is that our countercultural lifestyle is probably one of the most powerful witnessing tools that we have in this lost and broken world. To be different. To not be a people who are just going to do what the world does, which is to be greedy for money to the point where we're willing to take advantage of our neighbor to make a buck. We're not like that. To be like the world, to just go in the direction of our, of our natural lusts, because that's what all people do, right? To be different, to be distinct, to be, dare I say it, sanctified, set apart, is one of the most powerful witnessing tools that we can have. And it, and it worked in their day because look what happened. And the Lord, the people were seeing this. They were gaining favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved it's in the way that we live folks it's the way in the way that we care for one another it's the way that we resist the flow of the culture and instead choose to do things god's way with with all humility and winsomeness 
Not in a shaking our fist kind of a way, but in a, in a way that is winsome and draws others into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So, what's the answer to the question? The answer to the question is this. The core of Christianity is to turn against the flow of sin, to learn the way of Jesus, and to put it into practice with God's help and His power. The core of Christianity is, is to turn against the flow of sin, to learn the way of Jesus, to put it into practice with God's help and His power. Now let me share with you some uh, possible applications before we close out our time. If you're here today and you haven't yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord and Savior, um, why not? Uh, you know, maybe this isn't my reputation, but uh, we, don't, we don't have forever. Jesus has said that he's going to come back. And at this red-hot moment, as of right now, at high noon on February 13, 2022, the door of salvation is wide open. And you can be saved simply by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. And that means to turn around and to resolve to stop doing life your way and to start doing it God's way. And that means action. It's not just an intellectual decision. It's a decision that will bear fruit. It'll make change. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then let me ask you this question. Are you in the active, like are you in the battle against sin? If I came to you privately and you could pour out your heart to me, would you be able to say, here's the front that I'm fighting on right now in my life? Because my follow-up question to that is, how could anyone tell? How would anyone know? Is the transformation in your life day by day pretty obvious? Or... Did you, are you still cashing in on the spiritual transformation that took place in your life a decade ago? Now, my last, my fourth and last one is for, is maybe more for me than for you because here's, here's what I'm tempted to do after a sermon like this. Go home and say, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm stop watching that. I'm going to, I'm going to quit reading this, and I'm going to start reading that, and, uh, and then I do that for like three days, and then I'm back to the old, old man. Because I, I bite off too much, and I don't realize the, the power of my old sinful habits. And so I would just advise you to pick one area of your life. Perhaps prioritize a bit. Think about the, the most harmful sin that... that you know, ask God, pray to God, ask Him to reveal to you, what's the sin that I need to work on? Number one, numero uno. And then ask yourself, on that particular thing, what must I do and then do it? With God's help, giving Him all the glory. Now, just to put a period on the fact, I know I'm over on time, 
But just to put a period on the fact that we're not just going to do this and go home. Uh, I'm going to play, I'm going to have the guys in the sound booth play a song for just a minute or two. And I would encourage you to just quietly bow your head, close your eyes, and reflect on what God's Word says. And perhaps even to take a pen out and flip over the paper that you were writing on. And, and if God moves you to say, this is what you need to be working on, write it down. So uh, after I have them play a minute or two, I'll come back and close us in prayer. Your mercy, your mercies are new each and every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, we are broken and you are perfect. The mere reality that you regard us is incredible and, and just displays your love. Father, there are all types of temptations, things that would drag our hearts away from you, that we live through and experience on a daily basis, thoughts that creep in, temptations that manifest themselves in various ways through various means and people. Father, I just pray that we would resolve it that when your spirit which is a tremendous gift convicts us of sin which again we only have knowledge of because you have given us your word you've revealed yourself to us this is all you're doing that when your holy spirit through your revealed word prompts us that we are stuck in this thing that is turning our hearts away from you. It's dragging us away from loving you and loving others. This thing called sin, when that, when that is a part of our lives and you make that known to us the way you do, that, Father, we would, in all humility and in awe of who you are, respond and that as we respond father and as we try to turn our lives over to you in that particular area that you would you would help us as you've promised to do we love you lord and we know that you love us And so we just humbly ask for your help as we try uh, to live for you. And Father, as we, as we make these attempts, pray that as we separate ourselves and, and, and show distinction from the culture around us, that others would see and respond. Not as a sign of how good we are, but as a... As a as just a miraculous, amazing testimony of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.